call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 14 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donica Tiernan watched Ingmar Bergman's 1982 film Fanny and Alexander and Thomas Alfredson's 2008 vampire love story Let the Right One In. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Enjoy! good thing that we're making a concerted effort to uh, watch all the movies that there ever were because the writing was put on the wall for cinema last week i don't know did you hear about this last friday and what was that well warner brothers have uh, announced that they're going to release almost their entire 2021 slate on hbo max i saw that christopher nolan was not best pleased about that no no he wasn't um few thoughts on this so right As it stands, what they're going to be doing is they'll be putting it up on the streaming service the same day as it gets released in cinemas. Yeah, wherever you can go to the cinema. And then it'll be on the on the streaming service for one month, and then it'll disappear off it. It can finish off its time in the cinema, and then it'll go back on the streaming service at some later date or other. Now the mad thing is, is that the, the the reason people have theorized behind this is that. Um, Warner Brothers are really trying to get their streaming service HBO Max off the ground. Uh, HBO Max had a big uh, like launch in the last year in um, in the states and uh, the United Kingdom, but nobody seems to have noticed that the HBO streaming service has been in Spain for ages, and it's I, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. HBO, I remember HBO España when I lived there. I didn't think there was HBO in the UK because Sky have a contract on all the HBO shows. Because well, I felt it, like in Europe, because I remember you could get it in uh, Scandinavia and Spain and a few places, but I didn't think you could get an HBO streaming service in the UK. Maybe you, you can, can now. Nowadays. You can uh, okay. now, yeah, it has launched. Because previously it was all, you had to go get the Sky Channel, Sky Atlantic, that had all the, the goods TV. Well, what they'll be launching, like their entire slate is coming out on it i mean the bigger names on it would be of course wonder woman and dune they're planning to release dune on it i'll still mm-hmm. go to the cinema um personally i feel like cinema was was always heading this way i feel like the pandemic might have given it a bit of yeah. a rush around in that direction but i feel like it was it's always a, this a dying way. industry the actual having a physical cinema do you think yes well, you see, it's a very, it's a, they're very difficult. For the places. reason that the younger generation are not interested in it as much. Yeah, I suppose. Because they're very, like, they're, it is, they're difficult to keep going, you know? I mean, it's ironic. It's a shit I, business. I think, I feel like, um, like the gigantic cinema chains will be able to weather this out. The medium sized ones, no, sorry, the gigantic ones will. Some of them will find this really tough to weather out. The medium ones will be able to flag along. But oddly enough, sort of independent cinemas that do revival house stuff, I think they'll be grand. Like every time I've been to Phenomena since it opens up, it's always packed out, especially for the old movies and and so forth. Um, and so I imagine they'll have to go there and the projectionist will need to go and start his HBO Max account. 
to, <laughs> to start streaming on the big screen. It may well end up like that, but that those ones and it, like you hear about it in like every film podcast these days has a save our cinemas um, little section where people write in and talk about cinemas they love, etc. And they're all revival houses and so forth. And if any of those yeah. are look anything like phenomena. They'll, they'll be fine. Like, if Phenomena will reopen again this weekend, you can go on their website. Almost everything is sold out. Like, sold out. Yes. Now, fair enough. That's 50% capacity. But Phenomena is not a small place. What's and on? Uh, it's all old movies. All old stuff. Okay, if, no, actually. Well, what on. else is there at the moment? I feel like they're only... They're, <laughs> the only thing you have access to, really, right now is old... Until Wonder Woman comes out. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... I well, mean, Mank was... Netflix only. Mank is, but right? Mank is out. It's in, also been re, it's been released. No, Mank as well. Has Man, it? Yeah, Mank is in Phenomena this weekend. I was going to mm, go see okay. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I'm actually I've I've got tickets for what was going to be their Halloween double way back at the end of October, and I'm going to go see that because those tickets are still valid. Uh, but now Phenomena are doing all sorts of mad stuff. Like you can just rent out rent out the entire auditorium and play whatever you want. Uh, so, which, folks, if you're ever in Barcelona, <laughs> go to Phenomena. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, pretty much, guys. Good cinema. It is a good cinema. It's a good cinema. So, um... I saw the, I saw the uh, Hateful Eight Roadshow there, I remember, and that was a good one. I see, and we went to see Split there together, and we A did. Monster Calls. Oh, yeah. With, uh, what's his name, was doing, was, uh, doing a Q&A Yeah, Biona did a Q&A afterwards. Biona, yeah, yeah. And cool. actually, I was reminded of that film... A monster's call, a monster calls by some sections of one of this week's films. Um, was named... it was it nineteen eighty two's Fanny and Alexander? By any chance? <laughs> it, yeah, why not? Could have been. To be fair, there it could have been. They're similar films. They're, 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 like, once yeah, again, we've there's, um, there's a lot of yeah. You're right. There's a lot going on there. We can, yeah, we'll get to that eventually. We will indeed. Um, did you select "Let the Right One In" for that reason? No, I selected it because it was Swedish, and that's how I connect <laughs> things in my head, is my nationality. I was but like, the, oh, a Swedish film, that means I can just choose another Swedish film that I haven't uh, seen. The dots did connect, though, no? That, like, wow. For me, anyway, we, we, they, they did. Maybe I'm just drawing imaginary lines. I think lines. that happens frequently mm. in yeah, a yeah. lot of these pairings, and for me, it's always entirely accidental. Yeah, okay, I, I feel like um, Windy City Heat and whatever we paired it yeah, up with. Didn't my, my Winnipeg. <laughs> My Winnipeg didn't Classics. quite gel. Both absolute shite. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, not our worst week, though. Worst week has no. still, still got to be the Riddick week. The Riddicks? <laughs> the Riddicks. Yeah, the Riddicks week was the worst one. Yeah. Well, you uh, watched Pitch Black at least that week, so you balanced it out a bit. I did, yeah. And the third Riddick wasn't that bad at all. I would watch that again if I if it was on t- television. Yeah, true. But I, fa- I did. But enough I'm... of that, because let's go back to 1982 for Fanny and Alexander. Whoop, whoop! Danica was a winner. <laughs> so Fanny and, Ag- Fanny and Alexander is a semi-autobiographical period drama written and directed by acclaimed Swedish director Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep doing that. Set nice. in 1907, the story focuses on a large family, the Ekdals, and in particular, a series of events that affect the lives of two of the Ekdal children, the eponymous Fanny and Alexander. Mm-hmm. While originally conceived as a TV miniseries, Bergman eventually produced a 188-minute theatrical cut, which is what I'm assuming we both watched. Indeed, yeah. Didn't yeah. quite have time Bergman. for the five-hour version. Well, well, so yeah, Bergman shot approximately 24 hours of material 
Jesus. Before release, yeah, before releasing the theatrical cut, Bergman also cut a 312-minute miniseries, which has also been screened theatrically, despite clocking in, as you mentioned, at over five hours. Mm-hmm. Well, the 100, what, yeah, what? Go ahead. One thing, like, I, I would say for poor old Bergman is, though that might seem like an exorbitant affair when you list out the numbers like that, I mean, this, you could call this his Irishman let's say. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, if you look back through his filmography, the man chucked in a great number of films at 90 minutes and some under 90 minutes. So, I mean, let the dog have his day in terms of Fanny and Alexander, I'd say. And this one, of course, was very successful. The 188-minute mm. theatrical cut went on to win four Academy Awards, including Best Foreign Film, and uh, marked the end of Ingmar Bergman's career as a film director. It was also the it was it was also the most expensive Swedish film ever at the time with a budget of around six million U.S. dollars. And I must ask, which would have been unusual for Bergman because he was he was a good man for a low budget. And um, what were the other Academy Awards it won? Did it win for editing? Because I did actually think the editing was phenomenal in this. Uh, best Fanny. That was one. <laughs> oh no! Please hold. So it also won Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, and Best Costume Design, which ah. makes sense given mm. that they took a large Uppsala mansion in Sweden and decorated it in a beautiful art, art deco style. Yeah, yeah, the sets are beautiful. Mm, I mean, that's where the six million US dollars went, I think. Okie doke. So, uh... Uh, now, first things first, this is the only Bergman film I've seen. The only uh, other image of his films I have in my head is a scene from The Seventh Seal where Max von Sydow plays chess against death. And you a have it in your head famously from... famously lampooned in the widely celebrated yeah. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, a far superior motion picture. <laughs> what's which your, I, what's, what's which your familiarity with Bergman? You haven't seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? No, I haven't seen either of the Bill and Ted's. Your time. I haven't seen You've either. you wasting your... There are three, please. You've been wasting your time watching right. Ingmar Bergman films when you could have been watching Bill and Ted films. Have you seen Bill and Ted face the music yet? That's not important. We're talking oh. about you. All right. Well, no, uh, I, I'm never, I don't think I'm ever going to watch that unless I'm forced to uh, over the course of this podcast. Well, I don't think I'm ever going to watch any of the Bill and Ted's because having watched Wins World Way Too wait, Late in Life, I feel like yeah. Bill and Ted might have escaped me by this point. I, might I be think too... we've talked about this before. Yeah, we I have, think you we would have... need a time machine to go back and enjoy Bill and Ted, unfortunately. Indeed. Uh, so... It was good when I was 10 years old. It was great. I'm sure it was. This is the third Ingmar Bergman film I've seen. I've and seen, what are the others? I, I saw uh, Summer with Monica and The Seventh Seal. I've seen The Seventh Seal a couple of times. Uh, I enjoyed them both immensely. Which one or which one of the three would be your Summer with favorite? Monica. Summer with Monica was uh, the best. Now that, that was a friend spinoff, correct? <laughs> That's correct. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, it was not. Uh, actually, I was pointed to it rather perversely. Uh, by, I recall an interview with Woody Allen be, where he was saying everybody was going to it uh, the summer it came out because uh, some young girl got her kid off in it, which is an interview with Woody Allen that hasn't aged well, but yeah. it did. It yeah. did. It did direct me towards the uh, summer with Monica. Mm. I'm sure it did. I ended up watching The Seven Seal 
Honestly, probably because of the Bill and Ted interview too, even though I hadn't seen Bill and Ted, I must have read about it. I, I, I know I was aware of the parodying of the scene before I saw the scene, you know? And that is the power of Bill and Ted. There you go. Um, and yeah, The Seventh Seal is, is, is excellent. Uh, mm. re, it's a really, really powerful film. Uh, but as is, is it as good as playing Twister against death? But some would that, argue that that is a superior game to chess, although you haven't seen it. Is that what they do? They play Twister against... They play, they play multiple games. And he's like, best of three, best See, of that, five, and then they... That deal. is funny. That, that's funny. funny. That's, that, and that's in 1992, kind of, that was hilarious. That's kind of my bag. Like, I, I would yeah. be into that. I would find that funny. So there's a lot to delve into thematically with this one, but let's start off with the basics of the plot. As I mentioned earlier, the story starts off in 1907 in Uppsala, north of Stockholm. As the Ekdal family are preparing to celebrate a nice Swedish Christian Christmas. With a Jew. Well, well, yeah, the Jews, uh, there is a Jewish man present and he plays an important role. The first character we're introduced to is Alexander, who in some ways is a stand-in for Bergman, given Mm -hmm. that this is semi-autobiographical, but we'll, we'll come to a lot of those biographical elements later. Uh, the, from the bat, from straight off the bat, it's clear that the Ekdals are both upper class and involved in the running of the local theatre, as we see a short rendition of the nativity play there. The first hour gave me heavy deer hunter wedding vibes. Yeah, yeah, I have that written down. Uh, I have a godfather or deer hunter. Yeah. You're going with deer yeah. hunter. I was. I think. Maybe there's more relevance to some of the events. That, well, there definitely is relevance I to some of the events you, that happens. I think you're slammering it with the Deer Hunter label, um, yeah. just in terms of familiarity. This is much better than the first hour of the Deer Hunter. Yeah, I would say the first 20 minutes just gave me that vibe. Yeah, but then yeah that's it fair. Def- it picked up and stuff was happening, and it wasn't just focused on the on the wedding but i would i would say you it could, could yeah. really you could really start the film one hour in and it, it probably wouldn't lose that much you could you could but like i said to let the dog have his day I'd, i suppose this would have been ingmar bergman's um magnum opus as he saw it his kind of irish man thing and also um another it did give me just to mention as well it gave me heavy vibes of uh uh, the Dead. Have you ever watched The Dead, John? The John Houston film, the John no. Houston film. The last, yeah, yeah. It's heavy vibes of that as well. Just um, you know, all centered around an evening's festivities. Um, mm. Yeah, and also the kind of the film sort of announces uh, a bit itself almost in the first shot, uh, like in, in the way many Shakespeare plays tend to do with their first line. In that uh, above the stage, it says, uh, "Not for pleasure alone." Um, which will come into the story in a big way thematically and, well, you know, the purpose of art in life, so to speak. Right. Anyway. So the host of the Christmas party is the matriarch of the family, and she welcomes her children and grandchildren for a big meal. We see that they have four maids as well. We get a sense of some of the dysfunction in the family. One of the Ekdal men, Gustav Adolf, back when you could be called that, is mm. having an affair with one of the maids, Mai. His wife seemingly has no problem with it. Uh, everyone's having affairs in this. They really yes. embrace the I'm good, the the Swedish stereotype, as it were. Uh, you mentioned for, this when we watched uh, the Square, I think. Uh, yeah, the Swedish reputation for promiscuity in general is uh, embraced wholeheartedly by oh, every yeah, every coupling really in time. the in the Ekel Ekel Eskel. Ekdal. 
Ekdal family. Yeah. Uh, in the party, everyone does a big conga around the house. All the men look like they're one brandy away from cardiac arrest. Uh, yeah. One of the men, <laughs> one of the men promises some children fireworks, takes them to the stairs, and and farts on a candle. Legend. <laughs> that that scene did make me laugh. I thought that was very well played. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, he uh, runs up and down the stairs to generate wind. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, oh, from the start, even like the whole film. I mentioned it earlier. I was wrong about the editing, but the film is just impeccably crafted. In just is, every- you, you can see that again that this is a, obviously Ingmar Bergman was uh, a real master of the art. Well, yeah, I mean, at it so long at this point. Um, yeah. it, the, watching this film then get, made me do a little bit of a deep dive on Bergman. I actually ordered a book about him, well, by him, um, Images, My Life in Cinema. I ordered it because he just, he really seems like a workhorse and a fascinating uh, man. Um, but yeah, all kind of culminating in the fact that he had, at this point, by 1982, he had definitely mastered the art of making films. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So after the party, when Alexander is in bed, the maid, Mai, comes and shows off her new dress, tells him that she's going to shag Big G Adolf, and states that she enjoys sharing her bed with both Alexander and the older Ekdal man. You just can't buy this type of childcare anymore. And this is something that you should be thinking about as an expectant father. Yeah, I was just like, what age is Alexander supposed to be here? 12. And his mother is 30. The actress, at least. Because the way that maid is like smoochy booching on him. I mean, all I know... I guess the maid is supposed to be about 18-ish, maybe? I would have been pitching an almighty tent at that age for the way she'd be. Alexander, again, legend... Well mm. done. Definitely not being abused there at all. <laughs> I mean, it was, 19, it was 1906. It's all 19, right. Yeah, as well. 1907, you do what you want. It's all fine. Indeed. So they're sent off to bed, although he puts on a little show for the kids. Yeah. Uh, we see the mother slash grandmother of the Ekdals, Helena, reminiscing with her Jewish friend, Isaac, who is a welcome guest at the Ekdal Christmas party. It's suggested that they got busy back in the day as well. Oh, it's more than suggested. They talk well, about okay, it. Well, okay, it's stated then. Mm, it's stated yeah. that they were up to shenanigans even while she was married, I think. I seem to remember. And they do uh, a bit of smooch in there, don't they? Yeah, they do have a, a bit of a smooch. Side note, the actress who played Helena Gunvalgrun was suffering from <laughs> terminal cancer during filming and had to mask her severe pain throughout. Well, Jesus, you had to make me laugh with your Swedish accent just before you announced the lady had cancer. It's the sound, Andy. Well, she, she had to mask her severe pain much in the same way as all Swedish people must mask the severe pain of I mean, of what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you have no um, emotions to work with? We are all going to die. Yes. That tends to be the tone of most Swedish films from, uh, that I've seen so far. I mean, there's a fair bit of that going on here, too. Oh, yeah. It's Mm. very uh, philosophical. One hour into the runtime is where the story really starts. Oscar, son of Helena and father to Alexander, suffers a stroke on stage in the theater. He's taken home to convalesce. Alexander and his sister, Fanny, whose name we haven't heard until this point in the film, are summoned to say their goodbyes to dear old dad. And Oscar passes away. Uh, in the miniseries cut, Fanny's name is the first word spoken, apparently. Ah, okay. Mm. Um, yeah, and the 
to get nerdy on you, the death is uh, as many things in um, in the film. The death is framed quite like a theater stage. Uh, we we get that also later on. But as the mother is like just pacing back and forth and wailing, uh, it's yeah. framed quite like it's framed quite like. Um, a theater stage. They do that later. A lot of with the, the discussion around a lot of the discussion around the film uh, links to Hamlet. Oedipus oh yeah, again. yeah, it's Hamlet. It's it's ha- like yeah. well, we were about to meet the father's ghost in a couple of scenes, you know. Do, 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 do. Yeah. So Oscar's young wife Emily does not cope well with the loss. As you mentioned, we see her wailing and screaming before we cut to the funeral, where Alexander is muttering obscenities under his breath. Indeed, yeah. So he's cock pissing and shitting and make his, making his yeah. sister laugh, <laughs> and uh, then he is excused from the table, and he uh, later on, he... not in a bad way, Renton, mm. but that's when he sees his father's ghost for the yeah, first yeah. time. Yeah, shortly after this, the Fanny and Alexander mm. see their father's ghost dressed in white in the house, and, and at there this are point another, in the film, there are a number of supernatural and dreamlike events going forward from this point. Oh yeah, well, there's one at the very start. Um, with the, when the What's statue that moves that we we haven't mentioned, is this when at the very start when he's hiding when Alexander when he's hiding, hiding under, under the, the table, table he sees one of the statues move mm, right? Um, There's a few bits and pieces like that. But uh, yeah, um, at this point when he sees the father's ghost, I'm screaming out, "It's Hamlet! It's Hamlet!" And then right. you know, um, basically the mother took away my trump card of feeling clever by literally stating later in the movie that it's Hamlet. So. Sound it's funny mother. that it's funny that one of the other brothers is called Adolf because the dead father's ghost mm-hmm. looks like Adolf. Looks Hitler like Hitler, yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, definitely looks Hitler. like Hitler, for sure. After a period of grieving, Emily decides to shack up with the local bishop Edvard in a move mm. which mirrors Bergman's own life to an extent. Certainly, Bergman had a troubled relationship with his own father, who was a very religious man. Yeah. Edvard has big time creepy pedo priest energy. Mm-hmm. He seems to be the self flagellating type, intent on stripping away all fun from life and generally being a complete cunt. He also reminds me slightly of Nigel Farage. Mm, interesting. A blonder mm. Nigel Farage. Yeah. Um, and Swedish less Nigel inf- Farage. Less inflated by booze. I always think. Uh, yeah. Nigel Farage looks like a man kind of getting boozy, inflated by like a percentage of a millimeter per second but it's always happening that's funny that that doesn't apply to the to the bishop edward because literally every other character in this film looks like they're about to burst (laughs) yeah 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 they look like they've all got gout so emily moves the kids in with her new husband who has requested that they give up all the toys and trinkets of their well-to-do family to go and live in his state of the art for 1907 religious prison yeah, the visual transition between the houses is what draining. It's just, it's just like because the the first half of the movie is just so lush and wonderful, and it like okay, it, like philosophical and full of visual metaphors and undertones, though it may be like the first half of the movie, that house and the company is just a very pleasant place to be. Um, whether you're following it or not, and the people are nice, and it does actually, it feels like the night before Christmas, and this very much, yeah, immediately, in a completely contrasting way, feels like a miserable, oppressive <laughs> shithole. Yes. yes, because Edvard's family and maids are all a shower of bastards. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> That's the main reason. Yeah, they're literally like League of Gentlemen level, just yes. cunts. 
Oh, Which, there's, there, there's a scene later on where uh, Isak comes uh, when he's going to try to buy the large wooden box. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Edvard's sister tells him to sit down and goes, not there, there. <laughs> That's a, that is a straight <laughs> League of Gentlemen line. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they're awful people. Um Immediately, um, but you get the proud, you get proud Protestants, though. Yeah, but it's it's also in a strange way for me. It was despite the fact that the first half of the film is objectively more fun, and the people are more fun, and the house is nicer. It's in the second half where the film sort of begins to have fun because the first half is more or less based in real life and moves like real life and meanders and the conversations and so forth. Whereas right here, we're you're dumped into a brother's grim fairy tale. Like it's all heightened reality. Like you said, and the also family this is are more a bunch of cunts. Yeah, for, for sure. For me, this is more interesting because there's conflict and drama now. For there, sure, there's a there plot. stakes and there's something you care about and. I mean, this, this, you see this in the next scene where Alexander tells Fanny and one of the particularly stern-faced maids that he mm. saw the ghosts of the bishop's previous wife and kids claiming that the bishop had murdered them. And then the maid grasses Alexander up and Bishop Farage engages in a bit of verbal sparring with the young Ekdal boy. Finally, mm. Edvard tells Alexander to pull his pants down before he administers a sound beating to the boy's buttocks with a wooden cane, which, based on the week's films, seems to be a, a, a much treasured Swedish pastime. Indeed, yeah. There's a bit. He gets a bit of a a, a battering here, um, and you're counting every one of those whacks. Don't tell me you're yeah. not. You're there going because you're looking close up at his face. Um, yeah, well, we're, we've basically been dropped into a. A fairy tale here. This is this is exactly this yeah. has got a fairy tale structure, um, and I think like there's there's something to that. I mean, it's all the film is almost completely divided down the middle in that um, meandering sort of like the the real life when it's pleasant doesn't really have a structure, doesn't really right. have a, a narrative yeah, to follow. Just it's just wandering around having fun, and then in order to like move through trauma that's when our mind automatically clicks into storybook mode and it is it get, it all gets very very fairy tale like we're automatically presented with a structure that we can sort of more so we can relate to we can we can see how this goes they're in a fucking castle on the hill for christ's sake with an evil matron and their mother is away and he's a stepfather you know um, yeah, the wicked stepfather. Yeah, no, it's all very, very fairy tale. Uh, um, anyway, continue, please. Emily wants to leave the bishop, but he refuses to let her go. So the Ekdals put together a cunning plan to get the kids back. They send over Super Jew Isaac to buy a large wooden box from Edvard. Isaac sneaks the kids into the box to whisk them away. Now. In this, this scene, is... there's one. There's one part that I did not get at all, which is when Edvard rumbles Isaac. Yeah, and realizes that he's there, he's here to take the kids. So he runs upstairs and opens a room he locked Fanny and Alexander in, only mm. to find them lying on the floor. It's due magic. It is, it is revealed that they were also in the box. So it is, it is due magic. Yes, that's, I, I mean, if you took that soundbite. talk about that later on. If you took that soundbite, people would think that we're being anti-Semitic in some way, but the film straight up presents it as due magic. No? Yes, because... So Fanny and Alexander are taken to Isaac's house, which is a puppet workshop cluttered with assorted bric-a-brac. 
we're introduced to Ishmael and, and Aaron, two young men that Isaac looks after. Ishmael talks a little bit about some of that magic that they're, mm. they're interested in and what they're creating. And then Alexander talks to the androgynous Aaron. And Aaron no, are you getting that mixed up? What? It's Aaron that is the mustached man with who makes the puppets. Ishmael is the locked up, sickly, androgynous one. I thought Ishmael was the the other. It's dude. fine. You've named the like you've named their characteristics, but no, Ishmael is the this sick one in the room uh. that uh, Aaron and um, Isaac tell him that he he won't see, he must never see, which of course means he's going to. Oh, okay. So Ishmael is the well, call me Ishmael. There you are now. Yep. Very highbrow so, of you there, Andy. Thank you. I was trying to rescue it. So, <laughs> so Aaron. So he talks to. So Aaron and tells them a little bit about some of the magic and this puppet studio workshop type thing that they've been working on. And then he goes and talks to Ishmael, and Ishmael is this androgynous character who's played by a lady who looks a bit like David Bowie, circa nineteen seventy five ish. It's an odd one and, because uh, I she appears to be. I'm sorry because I misspoke yeah, at the start. I have actually seen one other Bergman film. I've seen the film Persona, and I believe this woman is in Persona. And I and Persona is a film that is if it's about anything because it's hard to put your finger on. It's about two personalities and people fusing into one sort of mm. and. Ishmael seems to be something of that sort, or not only like is it's a woman playing a man uh, here, but you know she he does not seem sick in any manner or means, just odd, I suppose you could say. And then to get yeah, they they introduce him like he's Hannibal Lecter, or mm. like yeah, he he's Hannibal Lecter. I'm getting confused. This is again this the gender uh, confusion yeah, he- exists in both films this week as well. You're right, actually, because they, um, yeah, they do have a kind of a Clarice, Hannibal Lecter dynamic, yeah. Alexander and, and him, her, yeah. whatever. But luckily there's no multiple Migs. Anyway, they, yeah, <laughs> he said, I can smell your cunt. Um, I myself cannot. Um, next up, though, is where they murder the guy, basically. Yeah, so this is kind of... So Ishmael is showing uh, Alexander these events. So Emily, the mummy, puts bromide in her soup and gives it to the bishop before leaving, uh, knocking him unconscious. Then the bishop's bedridden aunt, who is not a looker, let's say. A big fat uh, lady. Yeah, or a gentleman, perhaps, playing a lady. Could be, uh, yeah. Knocks, knocks over a lamp, setting herself alight before running through, <laughs> <laughs> giving her nephew a very warm hug. Uh, that's, that scene is actually hilarious. It is, just running around <laughs> on fire. Yeah, it's Can't very trust funny. her to do anything. She's bedridden, and yet she, <laughs> she, hasn't she got gotten out of bed years when set her on fire. Yeah, it's very funny. So she was just lazy. Oh, uh, so yeah, so we see uh, the bishop kind of with his face all burnt, like he's two face, burnt face man, and he's dead. He dead. And then uh, Emily, who's pregnant with the bishop's child, heads back to live with the Ekdals, and we Twins. see a big party celebrating both the birth of her child and the birth of my and Gustav Adolf's child. Uh, you're 
You're forgetting one point. Um, when was that? Well, when Swedish Colombo is there, which is, is oh, a yeah, funny, they, is, they... is a funny little scene. I thought. Yeah, so the the police are aware that Emily drugged her husband, but the the guy, uh, just as he's about to leave, he turns around and says, one more thing. My wife, she's got this thing that she... Yeah, that's Swedish Columbo. Indeed, yeah. yeah. So the, 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 the police inspector says, well, we know it was you. Well, we know you drugged your husband, but fuck it, eh? Who cares? Sweden. Yeah, they don't get him. Let's a, go and cheat on our wives. And they don't get um, her on magic because it was not her that used you magic to kill her husband. That's correct. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, and that speech yeah. that, uh, what's his name? Adolf Edo. Gusten. They call him Gusten, but it's Gustav Adolf. I, I feel the, the need to really emphasize the Adolf part of his name. No, I've said some niche nerdy things on this podcast before, but um, have you read much Victorian literature because this is very, very Victorian literature in that, like they have it in Dracula or anything by Charles Dickens you might pick up, which is that they're like near the end of the novel, they'll just have one character give a big moralizing speech and kind of sum right. up the meaning of the whole thing. Well, it does. Um, Bergman said that he, that this was heavily inspired by Charles Dickens. So it does have that typical mm. building, buildings, Roman tone. Yeah, of the the coming of age type thing, but, and I guess with the moralizing as well. But then a ghost comes back to um, remind Alexander, "You ain't never living this shit came. down, boy." Yeah, so the ghost of Farage returns and knocks him over in the corridor and was like, "Step to me, boy." Yeah, he basically says, "You're not living this down, you and your Jew magic friend." So this uh, this film uh, started filming in September. 1981 and finished early in 1982 so i was born during the production of this film do you think that was uh celebrated I th- by the cast and crew i think it's basically what made it what gave it the longevity it has i mean people still talk about this film andy and i've no doubt it being um made while your parents made love um well i don't think that's technically how that works oh no well because it <laughs> I mean, it was it was written during that period. Okay, what, where that would have occurred, but I was born but, during production. During, during production, filming. okay, okay. During filming. Well, in that case, I think we might be overestimating your influence on the whole production. Fair enough. I I also I felt like the film that I've seen most recently that reminded me of this, similar that you mentioned that kind of. Uh, literature like mm. the kind of like buildings roman type thing but i felt it reminded me a little bit of uh greta gerwig's adaptation of little women oh i haven't seen that yet is it good i've heard it's great i liked it i liked it so i wonder if she was at all inspired by this certainly i read that bong, bong joon ho is a big fan uh, of fanny and alexander interesting i'm not sure where exactly i can see that in his work but i mean there's a lot to like in Fally and Alexander in general. Okay, where do you where did you land on it? I enjoyed it, but I it feels like it's a little confusing to me. As you said, it feels a bit Irishman-y. I wonder if it could be tightened or just extend it out and watch the miniseries. Uh, apparently, Bergman prefers the preferred the miniseries. Well, I mean, it was originally conceived as that. One thing you you got to say for Bergman is um, way ahead of his time in producing top tier television. One of his other uh, 
films, it's one of his more celebrated works was made for TV and uh, uh, scenes from a marriage. Um, so he would have been way ahead of the curve in terms of producing what we now call peak TV, where at least I do and some podcasts TV. I listen to. That brings us to the end of the plot. I mean, we could talk a little bit about some of the different thematic content of, and we've got all the things about magic and reality, religion. Yeah. So, for example, they, they, there's a lot of discussion around religion and how it affects the film's film. Because we've got the two sides of Christianity. The Ekdals have their warm, life-affirming celebration. And then you've got Edvard's miserable shitebaggery. Yeah, uh, where you have, and then no beyond that, that you've got, and then beyond that, you've got Isaac, the bear Jew. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my understanding is that yeah, Bergman's father is very much um, represented by the the bishop, and he would have been a very cruel man, and he was a minister as well. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, and then from what I've read of Bergman, Bergman got hold of his first like set of puppets and, and things when he was a, a young child and first got his buzz of putting together stories and showing them to people at a young age. And it would have been very much at odds with what his father would have liked for him or what um, would have interested his father in general, let's say. So I think in terms of how he's showing, in terms of how he's showing religion, I I think religion, I don't think there was it would have been a place you could go in society where you wouldn't have found religion at that point. So Yes, I, that seems fair. Yeah, so I don't, I, like, I don't, like, but I think he, ta- like, he takes particular note to show all the members of the family as, ver- like, flawed but happy, let's say. And, you know, I mean, for example, everybody's got their, you know, everybody's philandering and they have their own little bits on the side and it's very much accepted. And that's the kind of grain of salt that Bergman would seem to be suggesting to take religion with, or at least that's what the characters you warm most to in the film are doing. Also, you can see like just in the scene right before Alexander's father's father dies, that Alexander's mother is having an affair with one of the actors that's as well. Right, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So every- and there's uh, there's some question as to whether uh, Oscar is actually Alexander's father. Is that raised in the film? At least in something that I read. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what's the deal with um, Fanny sharing the title? Does she have a much bigger yeah, part in the I show? Just, I think it's a nicer mm, title than just Alexander. I think it, yeah, because then we would have like um, like sword and sandals. I think. Um, from what I read about that was that they, I mean, it's it's based on Bergman's own life and his him and his sister Margareta, I believe her name was. Mm. So I think he wanted it just to not be from only his perspective, but it is slightly redundant, at least in this theatrical cut. It feels a little strange. I mean, you could probably rename it. What would you call it? I think I'd go for Clute. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, listen, listen to the Clute episode for that to make sense. Indeed. Um, over, like I've been, I've had this on my list for ages. I'm the one who brought it to the table. I'm glad to have seen it. I think, in a, give me a few years and I would watch uh, the miniseries just out of curiosity's sake. Um, where I land on it is, there's no question that this is um, high art and a filmmaker at the top of his effing game. I will. I'm very interested to go back in 
Bergman's career a little bit and watch some of his stuff that he did in the 60s and the 70s rather than go, like and maybe build up to to this again and seeing how he earned its title but it like did really get me reading about Bergman really got me interested in him as a character and um I would like to explore more of his work um because I gather it is all it it, it would all be as dense and philosophical as this, but not quite so magnus opusy. And the thing with magnus opuses, as they come, I don't know, is that the correct plural for that, is they tend to, I don't know, try to squeeze too much into it. I, it like, I wouldn't say that this is bloated in the manner I imagine the four-hour cut of the conversation would be. I wouldn't say it's bloated at all, right. I, I, as a matter of fact. It's just... It's just meandering, and it's a man who, who, certain, who certainly feels like he has every right to do so. And yeah, I, I do feel like he does. I, yeah, I wasn't really, I, I wasn't bored for a moment in the film. I'll say that too. Um, no, um, but it definitely picked up once uh, Oscar died. Yeah, once the stakes arrive, basically. Yeah, but I do like in the in the uh, three hours and eight minute uh, cut. I don't feel that there's a moment wasted in it either. Even like the. I, I enjoyed the music too, and the way, just in general, the camera maneuvering around the house for the first half of the movie and the very particular cuts that he makes, just it's just such a wonderfully crafted film. It's impossible not to like if you've got the time to spare. Do you know what I mean? Because that, yeah. that is one thing, like, you, you need the time to spare for it. I confess I did watch this in two parts because it seemed like it naturally divides in the middle. Um, I watched it in two parts as well, but probably, I could have watched it yeah, in one around had halfway. I, I watched it around halfway through. I, I mean, I split roughly in the middle. Yeah, yeah. When I when um, Alexander's father dies is where I pushed pause. I just had to. I basically I had to, I went a little further than that once Farage appeared. I like I had to go back to work, but I do feel like I I could have comfortably um, sat through the rest of it. Um, yeah, interesting film. We'll uh, backtrack on Bergman's career and watch a few more things in the past. Uh, hey, here's one one piece of trivia from the film. Bertil Gouve, who played Alexander, decided not to pursue acting after this film hmm. and went on to become a doctor. That is? Of economics. That is interesting. Um, as uh, Swedish films go, this or the square? Oh, this. Nice. Okay. Uh, although I, th- I, like, I just kind of pulled that one out of the bag, but um, the square does seem to be trying to do an, a similar sort of a job of squeezing a lot of things into something, wouldn't you say? Yeah, too much. I still remember from the square that it was really the Terry Notary monkey part that was what made the film there. The Terry Notary monkey part is probably the best thing I've watched this year. But you, can, you know, we can't give all credit to the film for that. That's just no. the Terry Notary uh, monkey part. Uh, next film, your response film for this week. Uh, yeah, lat den rata comma in. Huh? Lat den rata comma in. All right, okay. I see you're speak. I can't believe you learned Swedish just for the sake of this podcast. That is fucking amazing. Yeah. That's outstanding. Genuinely. There was there was one scene in Let the Right One In where Ellie asks. Hmm. Uh, Oscar is the boy's called Oscar, isn't it? That's he? right. Ellie asks Oscar, like, what what happened to his face? Mm. And I think in Swedish it's something like, "What happened? <laughs> what happened?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just a Scot. It's just a Scottish guy going, "What happened? What happened?" So let the right one so in. I realized I can I can speak spe- I can speak Swedish. Very good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Germanic it's based. Um, I, and actually, a lot of the time, like a lot of the time 
if I'm watching like French movies or Italian movies or something like that, Belen, my girlfriend, she can't watch them along with, uh, with me because the English subtitles and the fact that she can partially sort of understand the French or the Italian just muddles right. it up too much for her. But she can watch along with Swedish or or German stuff because right. it has Germanic sounds to it, like English sort of sounds. Um, so... Let the right one Let- in, a heartwarming tale of a young incel and a trans-pedophile vampire. <laughs> Indeed. A trans-pedophile vampire. I like it. Let the right one in is Thomas, uh, Thomas Alfredson's romantic horror film. It put Alfredson on the map and it surely earned him the keys to the kingdom that allowed him to make Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy a few years on, which is a film I would say just as good as Let the Right One In and maybe even better for twice as much money and Mm. making approximately 10 times as much at the box office uh, before being shown the door after the box office bomb that was The Snowman, which we spoke about last week. Um, It's a Hollywood story as old as time and based on the promise, nay, the prowess seen in this early effort, I'm guessing that that particular disaster wasn't completely his fault. Uh, Let the Right One In is meticulous and haunting in a way that uh, that you can perceive the snowman might have been Mm, um, yeah. uh, Alfredson claims that uh, f- up to 15% of the screenplay wasn't actually filmed. Um, sp- because as in let the right one in, it doesn't look like there is an accidental move made on the screen. Um, no. So, uh, what's your initial thoughts on this one? Just you, you enjoyed this? I I really liked it. I found it entertaining. I think as it goes on, and certainly towards the end, mm. the sort of bully slash incel. If it, it it almost feels like a. It feels like an ode to school shooters at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, it's a psych- which possibly goes too far, especially the ending. It's a psychologically complex film, I think. Yes. Um, I would gi- I'll give it cre- credit where it's due. I don't think there's anything accidental in here. I think um, the, I imagine the novel it's based on is quite dense, and I think that is what you just mentioned there. Uh, almost pro incel is, I think is a theme that it's leaning into really. Um, right. Okay. Um, so it's never really indicated directly, but uh, the, on the close level of, uh, but we can see from the clothes and kind of the squalor people are living in and Wikipedia that uh, we're in 1982 in Stockholm. And yes. we're in Alfredson. Uh, Alfredson loves a period film because Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is in the set in the seventies. Yeah, and, and Snowman. Snow, the Snowman is set in a realm where time no longer exists. <laughs> Just where it fucking drains your soul. So we're introduced to uh, Oscar, uh, who's the most Swedish boy alive. Initially, it seems that way. <laughs> um, quoting Taxi Driver and. Dreaming of being somebody. Um, he witnessed. Are you talking to me? Are you talking? <laughs> I can't do it. I don't see anyone else here. Okay, I'm not going to attempt it anymore. I'm putting you on full time Swedish voice duties, okay? Okay. Um, so uh, we're introduced to him quoting Taxi Driver in his room in his underpants. Um, yeah, yeah. He witnesses a man and child move in next door, and then we learn that Oscar is being bullied at schools. Movie bullies are always horrifying, and this is no exception. I've got a. I want to dwell what on you mean horrifyingly, just, horrifyingly shite. Ju- no, just fucking horrifying. I hate bu- bullying. He is a dick. Uh, 
bullying in movies i've never seen bullying to this extent in real life and i've seen my fair share and it might just be because it's actors hype and then or maybe it's just because i'm not a child anymore and people who would have bullied students i uh, when i was a kid they're equivalent nowadays i just look at them and i just see a little kid how could they possibly be terrifying but I never, yeah, I never ever saw physical bullying like you see in the films and TV, like yeah. TV series that show the they show the seventies and eighties. Uh, I never ever saw physical bullying like that. No, like, trying to kill people. Like for example, stuff like um, Moonlight. Have you seen Moonlight yet? No, oh. not yet. Okay, well, like there, I can imagine that's rough. Though. Oh yeah, there's some rough bullying in that. Another uh, one I can think of. Oof, or can I? Anyway, movie bullying is just harsh as all holy hell, really. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, a monster calls. There is some harsh ass bully is school bullying and a monster calls. Uh, That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Similar to this. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and th- this stuff, like that stuff, is the most horrifying stuff in the film. I, I would say. Uh, no, Jesus Christ, what am I talking about? I even have notes about it. This is a horrifying film. And actually, the, the tone and the the pace that it takes on makes the violence all the more horrifying when it happens. So let's get on to that. Um, so uh, also, initially, from an early stage in the film, uh, Oscar seems obsessed with uh, revenge and violence, which is the incel stuff that um, you were referring to, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. But the, And the way that that progresses throughout the film mm. it's like yeah it gets ugly the film is on on his side <laughs> with that um revenging i don't know is it i don't know is it i think there's one very a particular scene that kind of addresses that anyway so we see oscar's okay. new neighbor meticulously prepare for and fail to execute completely um murder he gets caught by a by a, a fancy dog um, and then that's right. It's like it's a poodle or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then next we see uh, Oscar stabbing a tree, and we're introduced to Ellie the vampire in a very effective, uh, creepy entrance. Um, it must be said. I, mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really well done. Um, it just it. You hear him doing his. You, you talking to me? Can you do your Swedish voice there, Andy? Are you talking to me? So he's saying that to a tree while stabbing the tree, um, and it we. We pan just along to him and then all of a sudden zoom out and back and we see Ellie standing on a climbing frame in a T-shirt in the Swedish winter. Um, I think Alfredson, Alfredson does that throughout the film knowing, I mean, you watch this and you know that it's reasonably low budget. Mm. So using a bit of camera trickery or not even that, just, yeah, just basically having a character suddenly appear, put the camera, just flash the camera over to a certain space and you can make it look like something supernatural has happened without showing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice cheap way of doing it because later on when they do actually have to show something, uh, when one character is being attacked by cats, that does not look very good. No, 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 no. It's quite ropey CGI, it has to be said. So anything that can be suggested or done with... You know, like some kind of trickery uh, is great, but it is a cool and kind of creepy introduction. And I well, I have to say, like, there's not even like you mo- you knew this was a vampire story before you started watching it. I mean, there's like th- it, this isn't pitched yeah. as a reveal or anything. Everybody knows she's a vampire. 
Um, I, I I knew the full reveal, but I think that's just because the film has been out for twelve years at this point. So I already knew the entire plot, and I haven't I hadn't watched this, and I haven't watched the American remake. Let me in. Well, I'll tell you what. In the the final shots of the film gives a type of reveal, I think. But we'll get to that. Um, anyway, so next up, we're introduced to the bar people who show us what only fools and horses would have looked like had it been fi- made if in uh, had a Swedish version been filmed. Yeah, uh, they try to make friends with uh, Oscar's neighbor, the murderer, um, but he's in a bad mood because Ellie, who he lives with, uh, has been giving out to him for failing to harvest blood from his victim. And uh, then she murders one of the only fools and horse people under the bridge. Uh, a murder with Rodney, you plonker. <laughs> I don't know. A murder which is accent. witnessed by the, um, I don't know, would it be Trig? Yeah, by the by the Trig, yeah. the cat guy. Uh, no, he would be Uncle Albert, I'd say. Um, yeah. The, anyway. Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely. Yeah. Swedish Uncle Albert with his cats witnesses the murder under the bridge. But but then he legs it to the bar, and by the time he gets back to under the bridge, the body is gone, and the body is gone because Ellie, who at this point in the in the film, you're saying that's her father, are you? Uh, the person that she's with. Yeah. I think immediately when. They have some interaction and it's very clear that she has the power in the relationship. Mm. I've heard it's not really explicit in the film. I think it was possibly cut from the novel, but I read something that Alfredson said, suggested that the relationship is that he is a pedophile. Huh. Um, and that's why he hangs around. Because I, I see, interpreted I, 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 it a few different ways. The, the other the other thoughts that I had were that so this guy who's kind of hanging around looking after Ellie to an extent like murdering people so mm. that she can harvest the blood. I thought there was a few possibilities. I thought at first I thought he was one of those guys who's hanging around because he wants to get turned into a vampire. Mm. Then I thought later on I thought maybe he's a young he was a young kid and he's just I'm, been with her for like all most of his life. I'm fairly sure that that's the reveal at the end of the film. Ah, uh, is that what you took from yeah. it? Yeah, because I thought that would be better, but Alfredson. But I think. But I think. But I think now that now that we've seen the snowman. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what they're. I think we should discount his view. But I, I think what they're, like, they're, yeah, they're they're trying to make you think father or pedophile. I think most of the way through the film. Father file. Uh, a father file, indeed. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Um. Anyway. Two Fs. It could be your father file. Yeah, it sounds nice. Sounds. Yeah, yeah, a bit of alliteration always good. Um, anyway, at this point, I suppose you are like you would be. This is, I must say as well. Yeah, this is my second time seeing it, but I haven't seen it in years. But I do, uh, and I probably didn't think this far into it and to the reveal we just uh, spoke about the first time I watched it, and definitely the first time I watched it, I would have assumed this fella to be her father. Um, anyway. We've he has dragged the body away and chucked it down a drain, um, and it'll later emerge in the story. So, the friendship between I mean, but after you know that he's murdered someone, you wouldn't think he was a father, right? I mean, that's not how you wouldn't think that like someone would have a vamp, their kid gets turned into a vampire, and then they decide, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to continue to look after this child. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Oh, okay, all right, no, I did not think that. Well, you see, that's what I'll do for my daughter if she gets turned into a vampire. Well, good for you. Yeah, yeah, I'll just... I'll, good for your daughter. Yeah, yeah. And I hope some Scottish fuck doesn't assume I'm a paedophile. <laughs> well, that's a safe assumption. 
Um, so the friendship between Oscar and Ellie blossoms with uh, Morse code or Rubik's Cube and her telling him to stand up to his bullies because she notices... Classic incel uh, love, classic incel romance. She notices like a marks on his face and so forth. Um, and then uh, in the next couple of scenes, we've... And this is more leans into your incel angle. We see Oscar happy as we've never seen him because he's with his dad. Exactly after that, we see a scene where Ellie's dad or um, pedophather, um, father file, father file. Sorry, pedophile, father file. Uh, <laughs> pedophather. Uh, Ali, uh, Ellie's father tells her that he is going to begin carrying acid in his murder kit in case he gets caught and recognized and brought back to this house because people have started to know him from around the area. Um, and then next up, he gets caught now. He gets caught after hanging around outside a window in a way <laughs> I can only might have been okay in 1982, but I don't think you could do it for yeah. for, for more than 30 seconds nowadays. Quite frankly, it was fine in the it was fine in the suburbs of Stockholm in 1982. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you it know, was, promi- uh, the, the promiscuity of the society went down to the soccer playing young boys in that society. It was the boys played their sports. Very nice. Uh, anyway. It's certainly not okay now. To burn my face off with acid. The way he hangs uh, outside that. So anyway, he selects his victim, seems to have him knocked out or something, uh, hung upside down, and he's going to drain him of his blood. But then... Uh, his friends figure out that he's inside there. He can. It's it, this scene is terrifically played um, because so he's in a kind of a, a gym dressing room. His would be victim is uh, tied upside down, like hog tied, essentially waiting for to be cut at the That's neck. Pig. The blood drained from him, and then um, there's blurry glass that kind of um, the friends spot the uh, the father file through and they assume it's their friend and he, we can just see him on the other side of it they know that somebody's in there because they see movement on the other side of the glass and then they're banging 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 at that point the f- he just seems yeah, they're they're like banging on the on the window going like oh stop stop joking off and then he he kind of he just realizes okay game's up um, kind of resigns himself to that fact. At the, then his would-be victim wakes up, starts screaming, everybody's coming in to help him, and then he just sits down and pours the acid on his face. Um, nice. And it is a fucking disturbing scene in a film of disturbing scenes. Anyway, uh, then Ellie, call, Ellie calls to the hospital where he is um, and finds out what room he's in. At this point, we're starting to see a bit more of Ellie's vampire powers because you see her climbing up. Yeah, well, you don't see her climbing up. You just you, you just see her outside. No, you do. You see her climbing do up. You? So she goes in and yeah, she goes in and speaks to the receptionist yes. nursey lady, and then she walks back outside and she's barefoot. So the receptionist is worried about her. So the receptionist goes out, and or the duty nurse or whoever she is goes outside, and you can see Ellie is up on the wall. Oh, okay. And then when the nurse walks back inside, Ellie starts climbing very rapidly. Again, I was watching this on my wall. Oh, fair enough. Projector. So. Might have missed that. Uh, was it out of focus? It seems like the sort of thing that might be out of focus. Anyway. Mm, it was clear. She d- Crystal. She does a tap, tap, tap a la the wire to wake up uh, the father file who goes over to the window and uh, the carnage, the acid has wreaked upon his face is revealed and it is fucking rough 
And this is... Yeah, it's very similar to uh, Edvard in Fanny and Alexander after his fire. And it's not quite so... Gro- well, this is far more grotesque, I would argue, no? Why? He's also still alive, this guy. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really rough. Anyway, so he offers himself to her and she just sucks all the blood out of him. He falls out the window and then she goes to Oscar's house and sleeps with... But did 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 you think at that point that she was going to turn him as opposed to just draining him and ending him? Again, I can't remember how I would have thought the, the first time I watched the film. But no, I figured... Well, also I figured, I suppose... I mean, it's logical that he would just want to die in that state, isn't it? Well, I kind of thought when you, it shows him sort of smiling when he's on the ground, I thought that his flesh was going to start doing some Wolverine-style healing. Ah, uh, you've watched too many Marvel movies, my friend. Well, as we've established, the Ant-Man and the Wasp is the, the center of the film universe. Indeed. And everything else. And I'm, just and, uh, I'm on a planet that's farthest from, from us. Okay, fair enough. Nice uh, Star Wars uh, reference there. Mm. If there's a bright center to the universe, then this is the pl- the planet it's furthest from. Says Luke Skywalker. Know your shit, Andy. Uh, okay. Nice crisp Star Wars reference there. Anyway, uh, then Sorry. she goes back to Oscar's house uh, and sleeps with him in the nudie. And um, he is he asks her, "Are they going steady?" Uh, uh, having no idea what the fuck he's in for, and she says, she's, she's like, "She says uh, she's not well, a girl." I don't know what you're talking about. I'm 300 years old. Yeah, and I'm not a girl. Says she's not a girl, um, which he doesn't quite get his head around, really. But anyway, he like he, he likes her, and you can see she likes him, and it's a nice kind of a tender scene. Anyway, the next he's he's not bothered. I mean, ultimately, no, he's not. I think no, even at even at that point, he doesn't give a shit. She could be anything, vampire. Mm. Any gender, any gender, any anything, and he's on board. Um, yeah, and then the next day, he when he, they're going out ice skating, and he stands up to bully to the bullies in a in a scene that's probably supposed to be um, more disturbing than gratifying. But I would say it's the same level of disturbing and gratifying. It's nice to see him stand up to the bullies and whack one in the side of the head with a metal pole. Don't you agree? Yeah, but again, it's just. I don't know something about reveling in the joy of it. <laughs> well, you see, we'll get to the Feels scene where like I too much. We'll, we'll get yeah. uh, okay, we'll get to okay. the scene where I think the film stands on the in in opposition to not quite in opposition to that, but certainly not the position you're reckoning on. Um, mm. Anyway, at, at that point, the body of um, Rodney uh, Rodney Trotter, Un- Uncle Albert. Yeah, no, Rodney. That's right. Rodney Trotter gets found. <laughs> uh, gets found frozen in a. It's that's Dave. just hilarious the way they find him. I just thought it was funny the position they find him. <laughs> he gets cut out <laughs> of the the ice in a big block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that's like a cartoon. It is. Yeah, <laughs> there's but no way that that's what they do. It must be. It must be <laughs> the way. Cut a block of ice. I can out. imagine that that is like how else would they fucking find bodies that are uh, into the ice? Of course they would cut them out like that because they got to preserve the it's scene so in a way. Silly. You know. I guess. Um, silly. So then, uh, next thing we know, Oscar is like feeling like hot shit, um, and uh, they go down to he's down in some bit. Oh wait, wait is 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 that not also when Oscar like the next day goes into school and joins the weightlifting team? Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> that is the most incel thing of all. He's like, I'm gonna start lifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, the other bullies uh, are kind of reaching out the arm of friendship to him in an odd way when he's in the swimming pool. 
yeah, not the bully whose ear he fucked up. Uh, then Badly, he so is one of his, yeah, one of the little lackey, but one of the the minions. He's down in the basement of some uh, derelict building with Ellie fucking shit up, and uh, then he decides he'll make a. And oh, by the way, is this a thing people actually do? Uh, well, like a blood pack, yes. cutting your yes. palm and trying to yes. give each other AIDS. Do people yeah, do that? Apparently. In 1982. Jesus, it's that was that was how HIV started. <laughs> it was in a in a in a, a Stockholm basement in 1982. Um, and that's a fact. So yeah, they do a weird blood thing, and then of course she goes all vampire-y and <laughs> slurps off the blood off the dirty floor, um, which is fucking gross and then mm-hmm. she go she she legs it away right and ends up drinking the blood of the lady from the Del Boy crew right yeah um the so the lady the cassandra huh cassandra cassandra uh, cassandra cassandra no no <laughs> cassandra 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 trotter <laughs> Um, Why are we sounding? That was good. That was better. I was sounding too Indian before. I think you got it there. Cassandra Trotter. No. Uh, Cassandra Trotter. <laughs> Indian again. Um, That's better. Anyway, yeah. So then uh, Del Boy puts her to bed. Um, mm-hmm. um, they bandage up her neck. And then the next day when she gets up, she gets attacked by all the CGI cats. Um, in oh, yeah. Like, the thing is, is well, it's it's just such a... It's such a. It is a legitimate surprise because I don't. I I've never heard of that that part of the vampire myth. Cats atta- oh, yeah, attacking yeah. people. Cats. Well, are at least going. Um, they're like make noises at them. I think if they just stopped, if they just gone that far and had all the cats just hissing at her and she ran away. Mm-hmm. I know they wanted to do it as a segue, or else I mean, possibly it's in the novel, but. As the said to as a clear segue to her being put into either a hospital or mental institution, whatever it is, where she's well, yeah, indeed she is. She's put into a hospital, a bed. and then she seems to realize over the course of the night what's happening to her, and she become a vampire. Um, electively, um, kind of kills herself by getting her orderly to open up the blinds, and um, she burns to death in a spectacular sequence. It's pretty cool, yeah. that sequence, I have to say. Uh, then, Yeah, it's similar to The Ant in Fanny and Alexander. Indeed. These films are connected. So then uh, Oscar is, at the, by this point, just a, just a full dickhead. Ellie comes around and he makes her enter the house without saying that she can explicitly. And then in a really disturbing sequence she just starts to bleed from everywhere yeah, she starts to hemorrhage internally it's, and externally it's really grim and then he kind of embraces her and of course gives her permission um and this is probably like this is the scene i've, I've been talking about this is probably the film's most affecting scene in the moment that the psychological complexity of the film is sort of made clear in a way it's kind of like she wants him weak she that makes him special his vulnerability and his weakness so she doesn't want him to be this yeah yeah like yeah, yeah she doesn't want him to be like the bullies indeed yeah yeah so like like she kind of she says she has to kill people so to speak to to survive mm-hmm. but that he like he does not and he is better for being vulnerable um so she's gonna do all the dirty work essentially something like that yeah is is but i don't like i think the the film isn't on the side of where he's going with that i think like particularly in with what happens to ellie in that scene where she starts hemorrhaging all over like that is it's particularly ugly 
and that's the like you know the end result of of him of him just going that far down that path he like really really seems to hurt somebody who he loves but she also walks in willingly to kind of show him that so to show she loves him as well that she'll go through that to kind of i suppose teach him something um and yeah that like that that's what i mean by it's kind of psychologically complex because like yeah there he is immediately like from the moment he's introduced he's a victim he just he just looks like a victim he just looks pathetic yeah i mean you can just, see from his haircut just pathetic like he's like he looks like the kid from elephant um uh, there that's probably what else that's the other thing that gave me this the school shooter vibe is that he looks like the kid from elephant um yeah well he does yeah and that and like you can kind of, you you can see the obsess obsession with violence and uh, revenge building up in him, and uh, like it's 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 ugly to see, and we you feel it as you're watching it. It's like we're like it's uh, oftentimes in these films where you see somebody stand up to a bully, um, it it isn't it isn't quite ugly, even if they sometimes try to paint it. But the way we can see his mind being, uh, and he's obsessed with violence as well. He's cu- he's cut cuts out loads of things from newspapers yeah, about. I mean, that's the first thing that we see really of his character is yeah. Yeah, no, he is. He's co- he's completely like obsessed with violence and um, just carnage, like all Swedish people in the world. And um, yeah, it. I think that at this point the film sort of lands it lands on a different side and just says it would be. But well, that's interesting because I didn't really see that interpretation, so that definitely makes me feel better about it. Yeah, no, no, no. I like. I, I think it, at that point the film makes up its mind, but it still takes us to a relatively perverse end, as we'll we'll get along to. So yeah, he heads. He goes to school at that just outside the school. Then we see, um, he his the the. Chief Bully, the kid whose ear he smashed up, being kind of wrestled with a bit by an older brother. Um, and, you know, there's no other reason to show that other than he's going to become involved in the plot. And uh, yeah. then when he gets back home, he has a he gets a note from Ellie saying that um, she's uh, asleep in the bathroom. Now, at this point, Del Boy Trotter, stricken with grief, has gone investigating and his trail leads him to Oscar's flat and he discovers Ellie in the bath and he is just about to pull open the blind when Oscar distracts him momentarily Ellie wakes up and chows down on him yeah nicely done is it not before this that it's Ellie's gender is revealed that she's a girl that it is a boy that is that it is a boy yes when is that revealed when she, in inverted commas, is changing into one of Oscar's mum's dresses. Mm-hmm. When she pulls up her dress, you see that she is a eunuch who... I mean, this is... I think it's stated literally in the novel, but it's... It, I mean, it's shown that... I did not a, pick up on this. So basically... That's in that's I thought that was like one of the main aspects. That's what I knew about this film even before watching it. So the novel pre- presents Ellie as an androgynous boy castrated centuries before by a sadistic vampire nobleman. That's like a I that's just what I've always thought about with this story of what I knew about it is that Ellie is a boy who lacks privates. Huh. Yeah, I did not get that. Just that when she says, I'm not a girl, 
I thought she kind of meant, oh, God, I feel awful dumb I'm a now. Vampire. I just thought that meant I'm a, <laughs> I'm a vampire. But what, do you see her penis or something? No, no, she's, she has nothing there because it got chopped off. But is it ever explicitly stated that she's... or? It, it is in the book. Again, I haven't read the novel, but I just remember everything I ever heard about this film was about that aspect, that there was a twist in it to reveal that she used to be a boy. Okay. I mean, wow, did not get that. Fair enough. Yeah. I wonder, does it make that much difference to the story? No. No, I don't think it does, now that I think about it. Eh. Because she's not, he, she is not that anyway. It's she, he, whatever mm. she identifies as, is a vampire. They, they Whatever is her vampire. pronoun is, they are a vampire. Mm. So it just doesn't matter at all anyway. And Oscar sees that as well. He sees her when she lifts up the dress and he just kind of goes like, whoa, <laughs> it's probably what it's supposed to look like. I don't know. It's my first time. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, uh, you might have discovered that. I did not. <laughs> but you've, you've just tutored me on the film now. Um, and then, so next thing after the, this man uh, has uh, Ellie kills this man in Oscar's apartment. Um, Oscar heads uh, back uh, back to the swimming pool. He's kind of um, lured there by the bullies, essentially. But it's really the bullies being led by the older brother Jimmy. And then they start a fire outside to lure the gym teacher out of the out of the swimming pool area and then they enter into the pool and basically start to fucking um yeah that's that's rough it's rough going yeah start to start to drown oscar basically what's the like i'm trying to get into the mentality of the older brother there like is he is he happy just to kill a boy does he just not give a shit seems to be that way yeah that's ma- that's mad to me that we've just introduced to this character and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to kill you. It makes sense. I mean, that's where Connie would have gotten it from with a fucking horrible yeah. shit of an older brother like that. Um, right, but this kid is full of another level of rage. Yeah, and it does look like he's going to kill him. Um, he's mm-hmm. not interested in, in letting him up at all. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we don't see this. Uh, but we get a very um, sort of a Jaws shot, if you will, um, mm. of uh, Jimmy's hand, mis- d- Jimmy's dismembered hand. Is, is he called Jimmy? He yeah, that's be. the older brother. Um, oh, nice. Floating down, like Ellie basically wreaks carnage on them, just rips them all apart and rescues Oscar. Mm. Um, but she leaves the one kid, right, who's sitting at the side, crying. Yeah, she does. Uh, who um, he's kind of been the reluctant member of the gang the whole time. And then um, next thing we know, we cut to Oscar on a train with a box. We assume Ellie's inside because he taps uh, something in Morse code onto it and we hear her tap something back. Do you know what he taps? Uh, I do. I believe he taps kiss, doesn't he? Uh, Small kiss. It's uh, in Swedish is P-U-S-S, puss. No. Which is the one thing he's not getting. Nice. No, he's getting scar tissue. Um, Which, yeah, he's already been under the bridge, so scar tissue is a logical oh, no. transition Oof, there. N- nice crisp red hot chili peppers reference there. Yeah. <laughs> Those listening Indeed. out with double. 
Red Hot Chili Chili Pepper reference. Uh, We got got a daily double there. Indeed, yeah, we did, we did, we did. Um, And um, if only there had been a scene... And actually, there is a scene where um, Ellie tries to eat some candy and pukes it up, so wouldn't you know it, this film contains uh, all four blood, sugar, sex, and magic. Ah, there we go. Nailed it. Indeed. Uh, Yes, that's it. I'm going to take the rest of my life off. Um, Yeah, you you threw me off kilter a little bit with that um, eunuch information, but now I think of it. it, Would you remember that? Would you remember that first sentence I said, a heartwarming tale of a young incel and a trans pedophile vampire? Yes, I do. But I had assumed that was going twist, down to twist that. ending, twist start. I'm not a girl, but it like it. Although you're making me think, like, have you ever read the the book, The Wasp Factory? Yes, and it turned yeah, very similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it's it's making me think of. Um, but in the Wasp Factory, that uh, that's very crucial information, and it seems like less so here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and that's that final scene with them on the train is what leads me to believe that um, the um, father file is in fact just a, a grown-up Oscar type. In that would be so much more interesting if that's the case. I don't like Alfredson for the thing that I read him saying that this the father file is just some pedophile who's yeah I don't like that either. Ellie because he's sexually attracted to her. I far prefer the concept that she's been with this guy for like 70 years or something since he was a kid. Mm. And then she's going to do the same. Although, spoilers for the novel, the sequel. Mm -hmm. uh, In the sequel to this film's novel, Let the Old Dreams Die, after they get off the train, Oscar and Ellie exchange blood so that Oscar may stay young forever as well as accompany Ellie. And this is described from the viewpoint of the ticket inspector who saw them together. Oh, right. So Oscar becomes a vampire. Is this in the sequel or in the, or in in, the postscript? Yeah, in the novel, in the sequel, in the in the second, in the next novel. Okay. Let the old dreams die. The uh, yeah, something about vampire fantasy literature. An old girlfriend of mine was really into some of it. I mean, it, it all gets very, very samey, and that, that sounds like that kind of cup of tea. Uh, let's be young for it. does feel like it's moving into Twilight territory. Oh, I would say more Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles. I only watched Interview with the Vampire. Which is which excellent. Yeah, that's a really good movie. Yeah, good um, it would do. I don't have a lot of time for vampire stuff in general. I'm not a massive fan. Uh, nor would I be generally. I think it's um, like it as like the mythology aspect of them if you put them there as just a an, an all-out horror entity i'm in i like that like i enjoy buffy the vampire slayer for example or i enjoyed the blade movies right. um but yeah. when they're kind of exploring it philosophically like basically when they're um when they're doing the dance that was started by francis ford coppola's dracula i'm gonna go with that i know where the bastard sleeps it's what Keanu Reeves says in that film. I've actually, I was just at a vampire exhibition in um, Barcelona this weekend, and it, not, it, not one of the uh, exhibitions mentioned "Let the Right One In." Uh, also, <laughs> I, I'm, you had me explaining. I like the idea. You're like, I'm not really into vampires, but you know, I did just go to a vampire <laughs> exhibition. I did literally during a global pandemic. And watched two vampire movies uh, this weekend. I literally had a vampire weekend. Nice crisp. Mm. Uh, v- uh, Vampire Weekend, the band reference there. <laughs> Who gives a fuck about an Oxford comma? Who gives a fuck about an Oxford comma? 
Um, do I want to get out of Cape Cod tonight. Oh, let's stop this. Mm, let's stop this okay, arse licking. Uh, which of the films do you prefer this week? <sighs> That's a tough question. I enjoyed Let the Right One In, but there's so much more depth to Fanny and Alexander. Yeah, I think particularly once you get to the second half of the second half of Fanny and Alexander is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it uh, <laughs> my favorite scene in the whole film has got to be that Jew uh, magic sequence. I just thought that was fantastic the way they did that. I like how, yeah, because the Isaac just, uh, he, when he looks like he's going to get rumbled, he p- throws his hands up in the air and screams at the sky. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you think that you think the jig is up, but really it was just him uh, starting the, the, the magic process. Yeah. That was a great film. Glad to have seen it. It, it will, it really, really uh, sparked my interest in, um, in Bergman, um, and watching Let the Right One In, I reminded me of uh, how much uh, I enjoyed, um, well, how much I enjoyed Let the Right One In, and how much I also enjoyed Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and how much I hope yeah, I was thinking that he can get back absolutely. to work. I mean, yeah, but do you, I mean, do you think he's done? Because Alfredson, like, my takeaway from this was he's a very solid technical filmmaker. Mm. He knows how to hold a shot, mm. he can compose beautifully lit and staged scenes of the. Mm cold emotionless swedish variety and basically he knows what he's doing which makes what happened with the snowman more surprising his most recent film was a reboot of a long-running swedish comedy franchise yeah but that, i just wonder i read that too that's done. that sounds like he's in movie jail yeah so that's why i mean i wonder if there's a way out because like the snowman on rotten tomatoes 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 has an approval rating of seven percent and an overall score of 3.03 out of 10, which I think is generous. Uh, yeah, it's a really terrible film. Um, it's like you put it in... It's just not finished. Like yeah, you said, yeah. it's not finished. Well, you put it in the camp of something like... Uh, it's, it's almost like the island of Dr. Moreau. It's like you're watching it and you're going, I know that I'm not seeing the thing that the person wanted to make. Whatever this mm-hmm. is, no, like this was nobody's vision. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, I would definitely prefer Fanny and Alexander. All right, so I have a coin. Thank God, because I don't. All right, very good. So uh, what film are you bringing to the table this week? So my choice for this week is the 2006 Tom Tickver adaptation of the Patrick Suskind novel Perfume Story of a Murderer, starring Ben Wishaw and your mate Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen it. I heard the novel is really good. It is. And uh, I heard the film perhaps not as good because it's a difficult novel to to adapt. But I reckon I'll like it. And I like a lot of Tikvir's work of the bits I've seen. Um, did you know that the Nirvana song, Scentless Apprentice, is um, written about the book? Wait, one more time. What's the name of the song? Scentless Apprentice off the album. I don't even know that song. Off the album. What album is it? I think it's on In Utero. Okay. In Utero? In Utero is how. In Utero is how the older boy who (laughs) lent it to me. Yeah, something like (laughs) that. In secondary school. In Utero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, My film is one that I've been. I've been curious about since I, I <laughs> Quentin Tarantino is always making conflicting lists of his favorite movies, but I've I've seen this feature in top tens of his. Uh, He's fucking everything that's ever existed is on his 
top yeah. 10 list. He probably likes the snowman at this point. <laughs> anyway, I had seen this one um, make several appearances uh, on lists of his over the years. And then I heard Mark Norman talking about it on Legion of Skanks. And I says, okay. <laughs> Mark Norman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, talking about this. He was talking about the film that I'm going to put up to bat this week. Put up to bat, a uh, very um, pointedly chosen word, the 1976 sports comedy film, The Bad News Bears. When you uh, when you messaged me this, I genuinely thought you were telling me bad news because you just, you just wrote me Bad News Bears. And I was like, okay, what's next? <laughs> what's the bad news? Well, the bad news... Bad News Bears, Walter Matal. The bad news is I've discovered your nickname, Bears. Okay. Nice. Uh, I said nice to myself there. Okay, so for, well to done. offer you, I have a, a 20 and a lady, a magic lady. Lady. Yeah, you, you, magic lady. You're going, you're going magic lady. Okay. All right. And the winner is 20. We're watching Bad uh, News it's, Bears. The fix is in, folks. The fix is in. Fuck yeah. All right. Good stuff. So uh, we'll be watching Bad News Bears next week. I think that's a a nice step down for the very highbrow Swedish week we had this week. What have you got in response to the Bad News I Bears? I just want to point out that Mark, Mark Normand used to wish me happy birthday on Facebook because I think he thought I was someone else. That's pre- that's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I like that. But that's, that's, that's why my name is Andy J. Ritchie. Is because there was a, a, a U.S. stand-up comic uh, who died of a, um, a brain tumor, Andy Ritchie. <laughs> so I reckon there's a few people who think I'm him. <laughs> but he's dead. <laughs> I was. Yeah, well, is he though? Anyway, so seeing as Bad News Bears is directed uh, by my granddad Michael Ritchie, uh, who is who is actually my grandfather, Michael Ritchie, the director of Bad News Bears. I thought I'd choose one of his other films as a companion piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a mixed career with his most acclaimed work coming at the start. I was considering, I had a couple of choices. I was considering going for Downhill Racer from 1969, which is a film that I've thought about watching. But I thought it would, I, seeing I don't know how often you're going to get to choose Michael Ritchie films. So, I mean, I could have gone for something like The Golden Child, that classic with Eddie Murphy from the 1980s, which I've seen many years ago. Um, he, he also made Fletch and Fletch Lives and things like that. But instead, I decided to go for one of his Oscar-winning films uh-huh. from 1972 with Robert Redford, The Candidate. Ah, okay. Good s- Candidate. Good stuff. I thought like, you were zeroing in on the one other Michael Ritchie film I've seen, uh, Prime Cut, which is really disturbing, oh, and I'm that. glad we're not going to watch it, to be honest. It's quite a disturbing piece of work. Uh, the Candidate, cool. Uh, anything Robert Redford, I'm game, and it's also got Peter Boyle. Excellent. All right. Cool. Well, um, until next week, until uh, then, until that auspicious occasion, it's a goodbye from me, Nanaka Tiernan. And a goodbye from me. Andy J. Rich. <laughs>